Well, in our message today, and perhaps in the one next week, I'd like for us to take a careful look at how God draws men and women to the Lord Jesus for salvation. And as he does that, how he can then also put within their hearts an insatiable desire to pursue after him and to follow hard after him, even for all the days of their lives. And we'll begin here in Luke chapter 7 where we find that the followers of John the Baptist have come to John questioning who the Lord Jesus really is. With John in prison, these men had been following the Lord Jesus around the countryside, hearing him teach and preach and witnessing his performing of miracles and healing people. And they were uncertain as to exactly who Jesus was. Now we can't know all that was taking place in those moments, but we do know that God has a plan for all men and that he's always at work carrying forward that plan. And the central essence of his plan is to draw men's hearts, women's hearts, to the Lord Jesus so that they can begin then to pursue after him. Folks, for those men and for you and me, God will often use messengers to direct us. And he had been doing that with John the Baptist. John's whole purpose for existence was to do this one ministry. He was God's chosen instrument to point other people to the Lord Jesus. And here in these words, John was doing exactly that. Listen as I read these words for us again. This is in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, to the Lord Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And that very hour, he, the Lord Jesus, cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said then to these men, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind can see and the lame can walk, that lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. One of the greatest treasures that we have in God is that he has no boundaries or limits. God can see and speak and intervene across all the many generations of men. And that's what we see taking place here within these words of Scripture today. Because for many hundreds of years before the time of John the Baptist, God had spoken about John through the prophet Isaiah, saying that at a special appointed time, there'd be another prophet who would come. He would rise up among the people of Israel and that prophet would spend his days crying out to the people to repent of their sins, warning them of the judgment to come, preparing the way of the Lord. Listen to these words in Isaiah 40 verse 3. These words given 700 years before John the Baptist 
was born. Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist was this one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And folks, John the Baptist was faithful to his calling. Denying his own needs and comforts completely, he dressed himself in clothing made of camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he traveled throughout the land of Judea preaching that the kingdom of God was truly at hand and that men and women must repent of their sins and be baptized. And folks, John's calling was an honored one, the most honored one than any other calling that would be given to men. His calling was to proclaim the arrival of the coming one, the Messiah. And John did that many times and in many ways. And especially on the day that he baptized Jesus. You recall there by the Jordan River that John proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And John's message was powerful. It was persuasive, filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Convicting so many people in that day of the wretchedness of their sins and of their need for repentance. And many did receive John's message well. And they were baptized. But not everyone. Not everyone, and especially Herod the Tetrarch. He became angry with John and had him thrown into prison. And that's where we find John as these followers come to him to bring word about Jesus. He was there in prison. John's followers, again, had been witnessing this powerful ministry of the Lord Jesus, his miracles of salvation that he had brought to the people. And here, these disciples of John were bringing a report to John. Verse 18 again. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, folks, some Bible scholars say of this passage that perhaps John was going through a time of doubt. And perhaps he was. The isolation of prison can do that sort of thing to a person. But listen, I prefer to believe that something far more profound was taking place. I believe that by God's Holy Spirit, John knew that his days of ministry were quickly drawing to a close. And he also knew full well that his ministry of repentance was not the most important one. His ministry of repentance was only opening up the doorway for a far greater ministry that Jesus would bring, the ministry of salvation. And John knew that it was time for him to decrease and for the Lord Jesus to increase. John knew that he was only a friend of the bridegroom. He was an attendant in that great wedding that was soon to take place between God's beloved son and his bride, the church. Listen to those words, the way that John expressed it in John chapter 3. There in verse 25, we're told... There arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. 
And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing now and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourself bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. He whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. John the Baptist was only a friend of the bridegroom, and nothing more. Nothing more. And John understood his role well, his place. And he dared not violate or go beyond that honored position. The best man in a wedding has no claim on the bride. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. John's disciples and all of the other people belonged only to Jesus, the bridegroom. And John knew that. I have no doubt that that is exactly what this whole portion of Scripture was all about. It was a careful handing forth of those who had been following John on to being followers of the Lord Jesus alone. John wanted his followers to go directly to Jesus, to witness the proof of who Jesus was, and then to follow him. And that's exactly what took place. Listen first as John hands his followers on forward to Jesus in verse 19. There he says, John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Folks, can we not see the loving, intentional hand of God in the way that this took place? To look past just some of these words on into the real truth of what's taking place. All along, John's followers had been hearing the gospel through John's preaching. And they had believed it because they believed John. But now, now they needed to take another step. The step of being brought face to face with Jesus so that then they could believe in Jesus for themselves. It's what you and I must do with those that we minister to. This is what you and I must do with our children, our other family members, and everyone else that we have ministry with. We must always eventually bring those people face to face with Jesus. And then note these words carefully. Jesus answered their questions first with miracles. Verse 21. In that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Folks, Jesus allowed his miracles to speak for him. Proving the words of Isaiah the prophet about the Messiah. Listen to these words given again 700 years before this time. In Isaiah 35 we read, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue 
of the dumb will sing. And in verse 22 of Luke that we're reading here, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus truly was the one who was to come. He was the Messiah. He didn't have to prove himself to those men, but he did that anyway. He did that anyway. He was gracious, knowing that their minds were small and reluctant to believe. And folks, that's always the nature of the Lord Jesus. He's always gracious to our small and unbelieving minds and hearts. And he bows himself low, getting down to our level so that we might see and hear and accept the truth. But listen, we must also know that such moments of proof, of sight, are usually brief. And they're only intended to give us enough aid to move us on to the next step, the step of faith. Because it's faith, and faith alone, not proof, that gives you and me the entrance into the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. And that's said to us over and over again throughout these scriptures. You might recall after Jesus had been crucified and he had risen, he himself, in showing Thomas the wounds from his crucifixion, he said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Folks, faith, faith, believing faith, is absolutely essential to our relationship with Christ. And it's absolutely essential to our receiving of eternal life. We cannot have salvation without faith. And we dare not have any confusion in our minds about what faith really is. Real faith is not the simple act of acknowledging that God exists out there somewhere. Real faith goes much further, much deeper into our souls. Faith means following through on what John was asking his disciples to do. And that is to go personally to Jesus. And this is for you and me. To go personally to Jesus and to inquire of him. And I do want to recommend this to each one of us. To go to Jesus personally and ask him, are you the one? Are you the one that my heart secretly desires and yearns after? But also too, are you that one who so often will bring torment to my soul when I go about my day insisting on having my own claim to my right to myself, which I do too often? Are you that one? Are you the one who then somehow stirs my heart to know that you are the only giver of real peace and life to my troubled soul. Are you that one? Folks, we each need to ask those questions personally of the Lord Jesus. Not of one of his messengers, but of the Lord Jesus himself. Because Jesus truly is that one. And so much more. And if we then will dare place our stumbling faith in him, he will also be the one who will carry us, you and me, on forward into the next steps of our faith and belief. And what a perfect Savior we have in Him, in Christ. He leaves nothing to chance. He carries 
us through, each one of us through each step. He brings us to a knowledge of our sins through the Holy Spirit. And yes, he does use other messengers often to help us through that step. He did that with John the Baptist. And then he brings us to this point of repentance for those sins. Of crying out to him for his forgiveness. To wipe away our sin. And our part, our part is a simple one. We need only to surrender our souls over to him. Leaving, abandoning all those other things that we used to depend upon. Ourself, our ideas, our philosophies, our principles. All those times that you said, well, I believe this or that. Folks, often those don't count. Those are our ideas, our own ideas. And we have to abandon those. And then we simply need to rest ourselves in the loving hands of the Lord Jesus. That's faith. And nothing less will do. John knew what was best for his followers. Yes, the truth that he had been preaching about repentance was extremely important. And they had heard those words preached so often. Those words also needed to continue to be preached to anyone who wanted to continue in their unbelief. But for these men, these men, these disciples of John, their hearts were ready to make that next step. To take that step of moving on from being just followers of John the Baptist on to surrendering themselves to the saving hands of the Lord Jesus and on to becoming, in a very special sense, just like John the Baptist, just like John the Baptist, telling other people, declaring their need for repentance and salvation. And folks, that's a special message that God has for you and me in these words of Scripture. You and I are being brought along that same pathway as these followers of John. We've been brought to the realization of sin within our souls. And we've repented of those sins. And we've been saved. But listen, those are only beginning steps. Steps that bring us up and just inside the entrance of that narrow way that the Lord Jesus speaks about. But now there is so much more that you and I need to do. And we really do need to get about it. Like John the Baptist, you and I are to carefully take up the banner handed to us by Christ. That of telling the next person and the next and the next about their need for repentance and salvation. And like John the Baptist, we're to remain faithful to our calling at any cost to us. There are people out there, many, many of them, even and especially, listen, some within our own families are slowly dying in their sins. They're suffering the effects of those words in John 3 that we read a moment ago that tell us that he who does not have the Son shall not see life. Our dear loved ones live each day and we see it taking place. They live each day by the principles and the demands of this world and they suffer from it. And unfortunately, each day they renew their claim to their right, to their self. And so many of them remain self-seeking and self-absorbed all the while. And they're slowly dying, destroying every vestige of peace and happiness that they might hope to have in their souls. And sin is the culprit. Sin is always the culprit, ever and always seeking to control our lives. And we, you and I, 
You and I are God's first line of defense for their souls. You and I are being called to preach and to teach as John the Baptist did. That Christ is among us and that he desires to wipe away every sin and to make each of us his holy bride. And like with John, this ministry, this calling assigned to us will never be an easy one. It'll never be an easy one. Both we and our message will be rejected, often by the ones that we love most. But rejection must never deter us nor discourage us. The message and the calling are far bigger than our personal feelings. And like the Lord Jesus, you and I need to be about the business of our Heavenly Father. Now we need to say a lot more about this, but we'll close for today. It's my hope, and if the Lord is willing, next week I want us to speak more about how you and I, after we've given our hearts to the Lord Jesus in surrender, how we need to continue to follow hard after Him every moment of every day. That's where the joy of His presence will become so evident to us. For now, let's close with these words. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. May we pray.